the seven words from the cross. And we have a little booklet to go with it that just helps this Lent. Um, my son Josh is just going to have a, some of those to pass around. We know we didn't have enough last week, so if you haven't received the booklet, you can just raise your hand, um, or Josh might put one in front of you anyway. So, uh, thank you, Josh. Seven words. This is part two, and the word from the cross is salvation. Salvation. And we're going to hear this word and these words that Jesus spoke. We're going to seek to understand them afresh, and and then we're going to look at how we follow what Christ says. You see, last week we looked at forgiveness and Christ forgave us even before we knew we needed forgiving. Eternal forgiveness is an action only of Christ. There is nothing that we can do. It's in His authority alone that we can be forgiven. Forgiveness is an act of mercy. We need to be aware that in this moment of the second word from the cross, there is actually three crosses three crosses. There were two other people who were being crucified, criminals, who were being crucified next to Jesus. Now, some crimes in Roman law could achieve the penalty of crucifixion, the most terrible and worst of all deaths. For a Roman citizen, they were not allowed to be crucified. It was that bad. The sorts of crimes that maybe one of these two had committed were piracy, highway robbery, assassination, forgery. Has anyone here ever forged a note before? A school note, a doctor's note, do I need to go on? False testimony, mutiny, high treason, rebellion, a recaptured soldier who deserted to fight on the other side, and a slave who denounced their master. These actions were punishable by crucifixion. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say what these two criminals did. But you could imagine they did something along those lines to warrant crucifixion. The second word from the cross that we're looking at today was actually a reply from Jesus, a reply. What I want us to do is to, is to maybe enter into it, to try and imagine and be aware. We're just going to watch a short one-minute video clip that just captures this very poignant moment. Thank you. you the Messiah? Why don't you save yourself and us? Our punishment is just, but this man has done nothing wrong. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Truly, I say to you, today, You will be with me in paradise.
in our generation and our culture, the visual presentation of the gospel really sends home some of the magnitude of what happened then. But I think you'd agree it could only capture just a, a mere portion. So let us also read the passage of Scripture from Luke in chapter 23, verses 34 to 43. Luke chapter 23 and verses 34 to 43. I'm going to have the words on the screen also. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he is really God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers mocked him too, by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, if you're the King of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above him with these words, that is Jesus, this is the King of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, so you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today you will be with me in paradise. Heavenly Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts, Lord. Let us have ears to hear this saying from the cross. Lord, may we hear your word and be changed from glory to glory, never to be the same again. Amen. I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. It's important for us just to take a moment and perhaps understand something which is occurring here, something which is going on here. The cross absolutely included suffering. It was a terrible, terrible death. To be hung on a tree in Jewish thinking was to be cursed. In those days, people took curses really seriously. In those moments, curses were absolutely terrible. And on the other side, to be blessed was just amazing. To have someone come up and bless you meant something in those days. To have someone come up to you and curse you meant something in those days. In the Jewish mind and in most of ancient Near East culture, to be hung on a cross, to be crucified, was to be cursed, abandoned by all creation, abandoned by deity, abandoned by God. The body, in fact, was not even supposed to touch the ground because the curse was that strong, you did not want the ground to receive the curse that was upon that person who was hung on a tree. And beyond that, just to die in such public way with such disgrace and agony was just a terrible, terrible way to die. In fact, it was so terrible that people wouldn't even joke about it in their culture. You would never say crucifixion. You just wouldn't talk about it. It was terrible. Terrible. 
So in this context, how could Jesus be the Messiah if he was hung on a tree, if he was submitted to such punishment and mockery? How could he possibly be the Messiah? The soldiers and the crowd and leaders mocked him. I think it's interesting that they were mocking perhaps different things. The mocking came from the crowd and the leaders in regards to the Messiah aspect of Christ. Jesus had said that he was coming to do something, he was coming to rescue, he was coming to bring about change and everywhere he went he made a difference and something happened in people's lives through Jesus' ministry and it created such turmoil that for the religious elite they saw their power base shrinking, they saw their power base being affected. Jesus said all sorts of controversial things to the religious elite He caused the religious elite no end of trouble to the point where the religious elite decided we have to get rid of this man. We have to move this man on. We have to move him out. And so they engineered a plot so that Jesus might die. They were scoffing at him. You're the Messiah, are you? You're the one that's supposed to save. You're the one that's gathering a power base to overturn what we have. Well, where's your Messiahness now? The Romans were perhaps mocking something different. In the Roman world, they were really keen on maintaining the peace. You see, wherever Caesar was, there was peace. Or so they said. And peace was enforced by rule. And if you stood up against Caesar or Rome in any way, then you were in rebellion. Crucifixion was the end a public display where you wouldn't want to ever mention anything bad about the Romans again. And so for the Romans, the issue for them was the king of the Jews. No, there's only Caesar, there's no king of the Jews here. For the Romans, they were scoffing at this would-be person who was trying to start up a rebellion and take on the might of Rome. No, there's no chance of that happening. Who are you, the king of the Jews? And they put a sign above his head and mocked him. I can understand those two different groups and their specific mocking of Jesus. But what really gets my attention in this little passage of Scripture is why one of the criminals mocks Jesus. Have you ever thought about that? You're suffering greatly and yet this criminal has the strength, the audacity to mock Jesus. That's amazing. I just cannot get my head around it. And I've really thought a lot about that this week. I've really thought a lot about that. The criminal was mocking Jesus. Perhaps even more interesting is that Jesus doesn't respond. He doesn't defend himself. He doesn't answer the mocking. He doesn't engage with the mocking. He doesn't respond at all. So you're the Messiah, are you, says the criminal. Prove it by saving yourself. Prove it by saving yourself. And while you're at it, save us too. So I thought, why would this criminal, in such pain and torment, incur significant pain as he lifted himself up to take in air to be able to speak these words? Breathing was done through extreme pain. Why would you waste your breath and go through that agony and torture to say this? 
Well, maybe this criminal thought I can get in good with the others who are mocking. Maybe the criminal thought, maybe if I say this and get on board, they'll maybe have mercy on me and pull me off the cross. I don't know, the Bible doesn't say. Why would this person say such a thing? Or maybe it was his attempt to try and goad Jesus into action, to, to maybe control Christ and, and bring him to such a place emotionally where, where Christ crumbles and just gets off the cross because he's the so-called Messiah. It doesn't really make sense, does it? Or maybe he mocked Jesus just because. He was at death's door himself. He wasn't going to be saved. There was no hope. Death was for him. He knew that about Jesus. Death was for him. Maybe he just wanted to just purely sarcastically ridicule and join everyone else against what Jesus stood for. I don't know. But all I know is that Jesus gives him no answer. There is no answer for this man. There is no reply to this accusation, to this question. There is nothing just silence. You see, Jesus, if we can take anything from this, values freedom. We are created free. We can do whatever we want. We have free will. We have free choice. Freedom is a huge value of heaven. So much that Christ hung on the cross. Freedom. And Jesus did not answer. He gives no answer. I wonder if it's not that really too far different today. I wonder if there are people in the crowds who are just mocking because they just don't want to be exposed and, and, and be, you know, a Christian who follows Jesus and possibly face mocking themselves. I wonder if some people today live their life where, where they're not really here or there, but if there's an opportunity to say something against Christ, they're more than happy to take it. It's just easy to get on the bandwagon. It's just easy to get involved with the popular crowd. I wonder if others who maybe bargain with Christ, who want to do a deal with Jesus, Jesus, if you let me have this, or let me live my life for 40 years, and then when I turn 40, I'm going to come to you. They want to do a deal with Jesus. Jesus is, a, is for them someone who, who they can maybe get out of jail when they get into trouble. They live their life in such a way where they can enter into his safety, just in case Jesus was right. I wonder... And then there are some others who are just against Jesus because, have you found this? There are some who just, the hatred, the hatred for Jesus. And there are some things we, the church, we are not proud of at all. There, 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 are, there are some things which make it hard for us to be a witness because of church. Would you agree? There are some things which make it difficult you know, if you've been hurt and, and, and abused and gone through trauma at the, hands of the, the, at the hands of the church, you can... Hatred and frustration make sense. But there are others who have no such thing. It's just pure hatred towards Jesus. What is it about that name that drives such a wedge in our community and in the lives of people where just hatred can reign against Christ? Why is that? There's something about this that we need to understand. Jesus gives no answer to the criminal. Jesus has already spoken what he wanted to say. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. 
What I find interesting is that these mocking and this scoffing only comes after Jesus uttered those words, Father, forgive them. It's almost like those words of Father, forgive them, that awareness that that I need to be forgiven, that truth that hits us in our spirit. It's almost like that's the catalyst moment where we make a decision of, yes, I, I do need forgiveness. Or, no, I'm going to do it on my own. This Jesus thing is not real. This Jesus thing is not right. I'm going to take care of my own life. After Jesus spoke those words, the scoffing and the mocking started. There's something of the power of forgiveness that does something and affects us in a way like nothing else. When forgiveness is offered, it forces us to a crossroad, a crossroad of decision. What do we do with that forgiveness that has been made available to us? What do we do with that reality? Because what Jesus speaks is such truth that it actually cuts into here. It affects us. It hits us. What do we do with this truth? What do we do with it? The idea that we might need forgiveness, that we can't do it ourselves, is such an affront to our culture. The idea that I need someone, I need someone, that's hard for many people and a little bit less harder for others. The criminal scoffs and mocks at forgiveness, but the other criminal responds very, very differently, responds absolutely differently. Verse 40 says, But the other criminal protested, Don't you fear God? Even when you've been sentenced to die, we deserve to die for our crimes, but this man has done, not done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Those words, Father, forgive them. Both of these criminals heard. One criminal responded with mocking. The other criminal responded very differently. You see, the truth of what was happening on the cross had done something in this man's heart, even in his moment of absolute torture and pain and suffering. He was able to recognize the truth of Christ that work on him. Even in the moment of the, of the absolute depths of despair, no hope, this man experienced hope. There was no way off the cross. There was no get-out-of-jail card. Something happened where this man thought, I have to say something. These words have changed everything. What this man is doing is real. There was a a reality that this other criminal was feeling and grappling with that caused him to say something very different. In fact, he just had to protest. He couldn't stomach it. He had to say something. It was the opportunity of forgiveness and peace knocking on his heart. And he turned to Jesus and said, remember me when you enter your kingdom. Remember me. Remember me. This criminal didn't just protest and acknowledge that we're being punished for what we deserve, but this man's done nothing. This criminal actually spoke words of faith. You know that faith pleases God? Faith pleases God. This statement was, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This remember me word is, isn't, just a re, isn't just a simple remember me, it's a prolonged cry. It's a, it's a desire for connection. 
It's a desire for whenever, wherever you're going, take me with you, sort of remember me. It's a prolonged, deep, yearning cry, remember me. But he doesn't just stop there, he actually speaks faith. Because whilst everyone else is scoffing, this other criminal says, when you come into your kingdom, to have a kingdom means you're a king. He doesn't say, if you come into your kingdom, maybe, possibly, if it does work out, he speaks with clarity and boldness in a moment of pain and torture. When you come into your kingdom, remember me. It was like those words of faith, those, those, those words of truth that this man responded to. As Jesus said, Father, forgive them, this man responded in a way that got Jesus' attention, even on the cross. Even on the cross. We just don't know how people will respond to Jesus. But these are probably two simplistic choices. It's not for us to determine whether we speak about Jesus on the basis of what we think they're going to say or do. Jesus just said, Father, forgive them. And the power of those words did the rest. And one man in the depth of misery responded. When we speak about Jesus, there will be people who will respond. There will be people whose hearts will know the truth of what is being said. But we ought not to be afraid and ought not to, to be scared of people who mock and scoff. Because it happened to Jesus, it's going to happen to us. We ought not to be afraid of, of speaking about Christ and witnessing about Him just because of the response. Jesus still went ahead and did what He did. But there is truth and power in the words of Christ to the point where someone in the absolute most of misery responded. You see, God is really God. He doesn't need to defend Himself. It's almost like if God was to defend himself against the first criminal, he's coming down to his level. God is God. Jesus was not intimidated by the mocking, was not, was not damaged by the mocking and the scoffing. In fact, that attests to the idea of free will that God gives. Love is free. But let me tell you what Jesus did respond to, faith and hope. Jesus did respond to faith and hope. The second words from the cross were, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. You see, this man surrendered. He surrendered. He surrendered everything that he knew and thought. He surrendered to Christ. He said, I, I, he said, I can't do it. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing in me that I have. There's no power that I have that can do it. It's only you, Jesus. I surrender to you. Jesus, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. Remember me when you enter into your kingdom. The salvation that Jesus offers us is assured. This word assure, sometimes it's, it's uh, spoken about in other ways, like, but I say or but I tell you. But this word assure, I tell you, comes with authority. The word that Jesus uses has an authority about it, has a, a surety about it, has a truth about it. It's like when we pray and we say amen at the end. When we say amen, we're saying, let it be, it's true, it's true. 
what's been prayed will happen. I believe it. Um, it's the same words that Jesus uses in Matthew 5, when He says, but I say, love your enemies. There's an authority and a truth in what Jesus is saying. Because loving your enemies doesn't make sense, would you agree? Who here would like to really know what we should do with our enemies? But Jesus comes in and He speaks with authority and He speaks with truth and He speaks another way and says, love your enemies. In Mark chapter 2, Jesus says to the lame man who can't walk, He says, pick up your mat. I say to you, assuredly, if you pick up your mat, you will walk. The strength of what Jesus is saying as He responds to the criminal, this man would have heard this this absolute guarantee, this absolute truth, both witnessed in head and heart. Jesus uses the word today. That's the same word Jesus uses when he says, give us this day our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. Give us today our today bread. It's a bread for now. It's a bread for that moment. And what Jesus reminds us here in this um, uh, give us this day our daily bread, is that every day we can go to Him for bread. So salvation, for what Jesus is responding to to this man, is for now, but it's also for all time. For all time. The daily bread is every day. Salvation is for every day, it's all time. In paradise, well, paradise is a garden of Eden. I tried to find a garden for the newsletter... I'm not a gardening guy. I couldn't take a picture of my own garden, so I found it. A beautiful garden where the presence of God is, where the cool breeze is blowing, where everything you need is there. Safety and security is all there. These three words have a a poignancy about them, have a power about them. But for me, the really important thing is when Jesus says, with me. Today, you will be with me. Paradise, we can take or leave if we're with Jesus. Today, you will be with me. Even on the cross in that suffering moment, the truth of those words struck this criminal. Something had happened In that moment, something amazing, incredible occurred in that moment. Because of the authority, when Jesus uses that word me, it has an aspect of labor. It's like, because of me, because of my labor, because of my work, because of my suffering, because of my pain, you are now with me. You are with me. You are with me. It's this groaning aspect, it's this painful aspect. The pain Jesus endured is very real. Don't doubt for a moment that there was some way that he was able to minimise that. He endured the the totality of the cross. So that through his sacrifice, we could be with him. Jesus says, with me. Paradise is insignificant when it comes to being with Christ. Nothing else matters when it comes to being with Him. 
The mercy of Jesus and the forgiveness of sin means that we are with him. We are with him. And this criminal had no doubt in his mind. Through the surrender of his heart to Jesus, he was in paradise with Christ today. Guaranteed. Death doesn't even make sense apart from Christ. Death doesn't make sense. Death death has no context apart from Christ. Christ is everything. Anything else doesn't make sense apart from Jesus, apart from Him. The first criminal had nothing, had no answer, just silence. Can I say that as a Christian, silence is horrible. There might be times in our relationship with the Lord where we feel like we're far away from Him. Ever been like that before? The Christian lingo is I'm having a desert experience. Most of the time people went to the desert to be with God. We've got that round the wrong way. There are times when it's hard to hear God. There are times when we're busy. There are times when it's it's not easy. But Christ is with us. We are with him. He said that he is with us. It ought not to be that way. Silence is a terrible thing. That's what this criminal had on one side, was just silence. But that same criminal heard these words spoken to the other criminal. And yet, in his heart, he never said, Jesus, I'm sorry, please forgive me. He never responded, I'm sorry, I don't know what I was doing. I heard what you said, that, that, that truth that you spoke to the other criminal he's right and you're I'm sorry it never happened it never happened you see when Jesus comes into our lives we have choice we can either go one way or we can go the other we can either have silence and have nothing or we can have those words today you will be with me in paradise so it is God who decides to show mercy we can neither choose it nor work for it. Paul in Romans 9 is quoting Exodus. It's because of forgiveness that we have salvation through faith. It's because of the powerful work of forgiveness that enters into us and and does something radical that only His forgiveness can do. And so we're to be a community of followers of Jesus. Don't judge one another. Don't look down upon one another. Don't assess one another's sinful ways and, and, and you know, point the finger. We equally all need mercy. The very same mercy that covers me covers you. The very same mercy that saves me saves you. This criminal who lived his life like a criminal up to the very end was saved. Jesus did not make him account for what he had done wrong. Jesus did not take him through a process. All Jesus did was respond to his faith and his hope in Christ and then replied those beautiful words, today you'll be with me in paradise. We are like those criminals on the cross. We have no power to save ourselves. We have no way out ourselves. There's nothing that we can do. We need a saviour. We need a saviour, someone who can utter those words to us. 
It's like there's two ways, to mock and be selfish with our lives or to receive mercy through surrender. When people are faced with these words, Father, forgive them, what will they do? One set of words will take them one way. The other set of words will bring them salvation. 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 How does it work? We just need to believe. We just need to believe Jesus. We just need to believe Him. That's it, faith. It's the hardest, trickiest thing for us who want to have some sort of control, some sort of say in how it works. But we have to surrender all of that and say, Lord, I can't do it. I cannot do it. I need you. Salvation. Salvation. The death of Jesus took the worst that hell had to offer. Hebrews 2 2 says these words, Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. It's only him who became like us, yet was without sin, gave his life. And now we can know what it means to be saved, to be made whole, to be made alive. Hebrews 2 again says, Glory from whom and through everything was made, chose to bring many children into glory. And it was only right that he should make Jesus, through his suffering, a perfect leader, fit to bring them into their salvation. So now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same Father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call him brothers and sisters. It's hard, but we're actually sitting with brothers and sisters here. No, it doesn't mean you have to get them a present at their birthday. But maybe there's something you can do to step towards that idea of brothers and sisters. Maybe there's something you can do. We are with brothers and sisters here. What, can, what, what step can we take to make that more of a reality? To follow is therefore just to believe and surrender. That's it. To follow is just to believe and surrender. Forgiveness produces two responses. Either scoffing and mocking in silence or acknowledgement that we are sinners. And in that repentance, we hear those beautiful words, today you will be with me in paradise. We're going to close with some scriptures around salvation. And uh, Bex is going to play the piano. And I just encourage you that as you read these scriptures on salvation, maybe if you're taking notes, you can write some of them down. Maybe you can just sit there and read. Maybe you can just, just have some quiet time with the Lord and just offer up a prayer of thankfulness. But as these scriptures go around, I want you to capture the words of Jesus, the saving words of Christ that he uttered from the cross. Today, we are with him in paradise. And if you don't know Jesus, if you're not sure if you've ever really understood what this Jesus thing is all about, then today can be that moment 
where you can know the truth of those words. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Let's watch these scriptures.
Father, we thank you. Lord, we have been saved. Lord, that we have heard the words, today you are with me in paradise. Lord, remind us of the power of your mercy and forgiveness in our lives. Lord, that you are the eternal one who intercedes for us, that we might live in the fullness of your forgiveness, that we might know the truth of your salvation days of our lives. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you came for us. There is nothing that we can do. Lord, may we surrender to you again and again and again. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you. Stay, please. If you want to join us, rear hall for morning tea. Come, team.